Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I've got my lead caught here. Um, I hope we're live. I can see that we are kind of live, but on LinkedIn, I'm not seeing any picture. So um, do let me know if we are. And uh, maybe maybe we are, maybe we're not. Oh, it looks like we are. It looks like we are. Hello there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm just going to uh, try and tag today's guest. That's not working either. Yesterday, the technology failed me because uh, my my computer decided to totally crash and my webcam broke. And so I had to do the whole thing on my Mac with, um, I wasn't even a pair of AirPods. I just used the actual, uh, the, the mic on the laptop, which was terrible. So apologies for that. Um, but here we are. I've got the mic working now, only LinkedIn isn't letting me tag people. But never mind. Never mind. Welcome nonetheless. Uh, no Dustin today. Just me. Just me uh, on my own. Dustin, as you know, has just become a father and has fatherly duties to attend to. And I can vouch for the importance of that when you've got a one-week-old uh, or two-week-old baby and you've had no sleep for, for two weeks. It is uh, testing times. But big congratulations nonetheless. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you for joining us. This episode, uh, as all episodes, are sponsored by the Conversation Design Institute. Ah, we've got an echo coming through on LinkedIn. That's interesting. Why is that? Let me delve into that in one moment, Sam. Thank you for letting us know about that. Uh, Stuart, are you getting an echo? You're not getting an echo. Right, okay. Uh, I'll have a look at that in a moment. Uh, once I've told you about the Conversation Design Institute, which you'll hear twice now if there's an echo, uh, but the Conversation Design Institute is um, an online course that is there to teach people how to be conversation designers. It starts from the very beginning, from what is conversation design, right the way, ah, it stopped, good, thank you, right the way through to becoming a qualified, certified conversation designer. I've done the course uh, myself. It is definitely worth doing. They're always adding modules as well, actually. There's one coming up with Raza, I think. You can learn all about the Raza NLU. Uh, it is wicked. It is a fantastic course. And it's one of the common questions I get asked all the time is, you know, how do I go and be a conversation designer? Where are the courses? Where are the resources? Where do I go and do that? Um, and the Conversation Design Institute is where you should go to do just that. Uh, VUX World listeners can save 25%. And so I'll put the link to that uh, on LinkedIn afterwards, on the show notes, on the website, et cetera, et cetera. So do check that out. I, will, I can definitely vouch for that. Not just because it's sponsoring the podcast, but because it is genuinely a good resource. Um, so uh, there's no echo here. Oh, thank you, Brett. Brett, the voice bot Kinsella there. Uh, thank you for confirming that. That is good. Uh, looks like we've sorted it. Uh, anyway, on with the show. Uh, today's guest is Stuart Silverstein of AIG, uh, Director of Service Design. Stuart, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. Very well, very well. It's nice to uh, nice to get you on, and uh, yeah, it was it, we we landed up for a while, and it took us a little bit of a uh, little bit of doing, but we're finally here. We're finally able to do it. So I appreciate your time, and thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. So I first come across yourself, Stuart, when I think I caught a post from Braid and Ream. It was either on LinkedIn or it might have been Twitter or somewhere around there. And uh, Braden Ream, uh, founder of VoiceFlow, as you might know, um, and he's just tweeted, uh, excited for this. Good, cool. Maybe <laughs> tuning in. That's good. Uh, so anyway, uh, I found uh, Braden's post. And what, what was interesting is that he was saying that you'd been using VoiceFlow with AIG mm -hmm. to prototype IVR 
conversations. Uh, and we know we've got Sam Denby tuning in uh, from Boost.ai. They they provide very similar kind of capabilities to build IVR kind of bots and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of thought that's it, that's interesting because we do that ourselves. We use VoiceFlow for basically everything. And if you haven't come across VoiceFlow, everybody you should definitely check it out. Uh, everything from from concepting prototyping, technical documentation, like the whole nine yards we use it for everything. So I was so I was intrigued uh, to speak to you and catch up with you in terms of what you'd been using it for, how you're approaching design and specifically for IVR. And then we got talking and you were telling us about your background and your kind of user experience background. And I thought there's a good opportunity here to have two twofold discussions really. One is how do you find the kind of switch and the move from UX, UX design, service design into voice design, differences, similarities, things like that? And then also any kind of techniques or, or insights or things that you've learned throughout the process of design and specifically those IVR bots, whether it's in VoiceFlow or whatever that's turned into now, any insights or learnings you have from there? Um, and as always, boys and girls, you can drop some comments and some questions. If you've got any questions for Stuart, leave them in the comments there and we will do our very best to get around to them. Um, so before we kick off, Stuart, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your career and what you do at AIG? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background started out, uh, I actually started a long, long time ago in music and uh, actually drifted into design by uh, kind of by accident. Um, it was kind of a, a situation where I, I had a, uh, I, I kind of got myself into one of those situations where I said, oh, well, I can do that. Um, and uh, actually started doing book design. So I started out doing uh, book design for a while and doing graphic design and ran my own agency for uh, part of, uh, about, I don't know, about eight years, eight, nine years, ran a, a, a small shop and we did a combination of um of uh, a brand design and then uh somewhere around like 2008 i decided i didn't want to do visual design anymore and moved strictly into doing ux work and so i took over on in the consulting part of our business i took over the 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 ux and, and brand strategy side of things and then my partner uh he took over the uh, uh the creative side of things at that time uh we closed up the shop in, in 2012 and then since then i've been doing a combination of Consulting, and then some of the uh, um, the uh, the you know in-house gigs that I've uh, I've worked as well. I I've uh, so currently I'm at legal I'm at the, sorry I'm at AIG, uh, and I where I am the uh, director of service design. But uh, uh, before that, I was at LegalZoom, running half of the UX team at, at LegalZoom. Um, I was at Fandango for a while. Uh, I've worked with Mattel, uh, T-Mobile through a bunch of agencies, um, but but mostly. Um, I've been focusing recently more on the enterprise side of things and the and the kind of what I'll call the the platform as, as a whole, meaning just talking, um, you know, uh, if we're talking about service design, it would be the kind of the digital portion of that of that service design and, and working on um, entire platforms. Um, but yeah, that's basically where I'm, I'm at right now. The, the the role that I'm in right now uh, covers lots of different area um, where I'm in the process of kind of setting up a an experience design team for uh, for AIG and getting a, a practice going with that. Um, but that covers, you know, everything from enterprise design um, through kind of concepting and new uh, and, and, and new innovative uh, uh, approaches and, um, and and basically and also integrating that into uh, the company's practices and culture as well. Cool. So is it would you describe it as the um... I don't want to use the word traditional service design because service design in and of itself is is kind of almost, it seems like an emerging field itself, you know. I think yeah. people who have been in service design for a long time will, will, will kind of obviously be, be well aware of it. I've worked in service design myself for quite a bit. Um, 
So is it service design in the truest sense in terms of you are looking at, you know, all services across all touch points and, and from front to back? Or how would, how would you describe service design in, in AIG right now? Yeah, so yeah, so it's really interesting. I, I you know, my title is is service design, but I don't know that I am a true, um, you know, service designer because my background is really heavy into UX and platform design. Um, I get involved in doing a lot of that. So meaning working with the web team on kind of starting to, uh, you know, incorporate US, UX practice on that, and also trying to build with the, uh, you know, kind of new services. So some of it is pure service design and kind of testing new services with with users, and then um, and then some of it, like I said, is just more more of what I would call UX work. So you know, my background like I said is is um I've I've come to service design through the UX and platform side of things, like being a platform designer um, and working and probably we'll get into some of the projects and things I've probably worked on, which incorporate voice, uh, you know, in, in those. But yeah, really starting from kind of a platform and and then um, um, and and working through the service design kind of as well. So it, it does not it's not just pure service design. I'm doing a little bit of everything, which definitely includes um, uh, includes some. Um, uh, you know, you trad- more traditional UX as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I was sorry. I was just commenting there because um, Norm Fine had said, "Is this on?" So I wasn't sure whether we we're still broadcasting, but it looks like we are. I can see on my phone, so I think we must be still rolling. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. So, where did where did kind of voice come into it then with AIG was 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 the kind of when we first got connected and we first spoke about the IVR stuff was that the first foray into voice or conversation design for AIG so tell us a little bit about the, the history of that and, and yeah it, 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 well sort of um it was for AIG but I've been I've actually done a lot of, of I've done some other projects that have incorporated voice as well so meaning this was kind of a very natural transition to kind of um to actually just pick pick that up and again within in the context of, of kind of service design, um, I started working on some on, on IVR, and the 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 process kind of started with the kind of the idea that they hadn't had uh, a you know a, a real UX or service designer to actually look through that process, and it was you know really interesting um, opportunity. And as I started to unpack it, it it, it actually is a really uh, it's a really interesting space overall because again traditionally you have the folks who uh, who handle the IVR are more kind of what I would call IVR specialists versus um, um, people who are looking at the IVR through the lens of kind of the broader customer experience, right? IVR is one channel, right? But we have the we have all these different channels that we interact with customers, and um, and getting involved in that and understanding how that and and working with the team to kind of understand how that works within the context of the broader, um, you know, customer journey. And then also working with it from a brand perspective, right? Because um, the, the the IVR is just as much of a creative and brand uh, channel as any other, right? We need to make sure that voice and tone are, are accommodated for. Um, and then, um, you know, and then also kind of figuring out how to kind of uh, to test and prototype. So using basically all the design, um, you know, design methodologies that, that we've, that I've occurred through using through the UX channel basically applying those to, to, to voice as well because it's it's just it's the design process is the design process it doesn't matter what tool you use just applying that so um, that definitely was a, a first for us and um, you know as I started to kind of unpack this with with other people it, it seems like it's not something that everybody is doing where they're getting UX folks involved in the um, 
the IVR process, but um, you know, but the more and more that I hear about it, the the more I, I see that the people are actually have been been interested, and there's been actually you know some some interest in kind of uh, in UX folks getting involved in IVR. Uh, it's an interesting channel. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting way to. Uh, I mean, and it's a primary way that, uh, or in in a lot of cases, it's a primary way that that customers interact with the um, with with the the companies, and when it's done well, um, and it's it's really kind of hard to do well. I've, I've found very few that I felt that I find that are actually really well done. Um, it, it, it's, it's a really, it, it can be a really pleasurable experience. I mean, it can be very efficient. It can be almost like, um, you know, it can serve, it, it can serve in certain instances, kind of like what a chat bot serves in that you don't have to talk to somebody all the time. You can just ask the questions and get what you want in a very automated fashion without having to kind of press one and, you know, and, and keep listening to all these prompts. Um, if you do it in a way that's very kind of um, asynchronous, Right, it's not linear in terms of its time, but you can basically jump around just like you can with a with a very typical conversation. Um, and I found it a very, it was a very interesting project. I mean, it was it was really great. Yeah, I agree. I think that the um, the whole IVR space in general, I, I find it really interesting because it's it's one place where pe- people in in the sort of voice community talk about a number of things. What one in terms of when you've created something like a voice bot, for example, how do you get people to use it? That's the first question people have. How, where do you get adoption from? Yeah. The second thing is, how do you get people to keep using it? And this is usually in the context of like an Alexa skill or a Google Assistant action or something like that. It's like, how do you get people to use it and how do you get people to come back? The interesting thing about the, the IVR space, I find, is that not only do you have usage baked in because people are calling anyway, and when whoever answers the phone answers the phone and that's who you speak to. So whether it's a human or not, you, it doesn't really make that much of a difference because you're still going to get the phone answered. That's the, the So the adoption is baked in, I think. The other thing I find interesting is that one of the things that people always ask is, where's the value of voice? You know, why should I build an Alexa skill is question number one for most brands. Why should I build a Google action? That's the kind of the, the question on everyone's lips. Um, with IVR, the, the impact is obvious. It's yeah. because you are, you're saving people at the other end of the phones are one-to-one channels. If the more phone calls you have, the more people you need, the more bodies you need to take them. Um, and so the more that you can kind of, you know, deal with those sort of like easier or less complex or tier zero, tier one kind of like uh, requests through the IVR, the more capacity you end up saving, the more time people have to serve people with more complex needs or the more money you can save through not needing as many people on the phone. So I think it's quite an interesting space uh, myself. Uh, with AIG, where did where did this come from? Where did the whole kind of and where is it at now? First, is, quick quick question: Is is there something live now at AIG? Is it no, still in process? It, it's still it's still being worked on right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to add to what you were, you were saying is also the other the other um, piece that this that IVR has is that um, it, it can be it can improve the overall efficiency of your um, of, of the customer experience, right? You can make it or break it, right? Because once we've got an IVR that's an intelligent I, IVR, you can basically figure out you can integrate that with the um, with the customer information, right? And then route them to the right place so that they can get an answer quicker. So meaning instead of letting them self-select. So what we found is that a lot of people, when they self-select, that they self-select wrong, right? When, you, when you're talking about voice, one of the challenges with voice in general versus kind of, let's say, a more traditional GUI interface or some sort of traditional UX is that you you have to give menu options and those menu options have to be baked into whatever short term that you're using, 
right? Meaning if I say, um, you know, I say, you know, check my account, right? It's got to be very short and very concise, but there has to be a lot of, of, of context that's baked into that, that term. When we have traditional UX, we have um, lots of other things at our disposal. We've got icons that we can add. We've got buttons. We've got types of, of affordances. We've got um, we've got uh, um, um, proximity, right? You can put things in different places and everything to give them context so that they can say, well, maybe the the language in and of itself doesn't tell me exactly what I need to need it to tell me, but in the context of the visual design and the context of the the colors and everything else, it makes sense, right? In voice, we don't have that. So, if when you use a con, con you know, this combination of, um, of of smart identification based on kind of telephone number or, um, you know, on uh, and, and then integrating that possibly with with an app or something like that, that's it's, it's a really powerful combination. And a lot of actually, like somebody like T-Mobile is doing a really um, a really great job with that, is because they have an app. And when you contact the center through your app, it's already done all of the authentication and the and identification, and it gets you right to the right place. So this is where when you, we were you're talking about like saying, hey, that it really has the, the potential to kind of impact customer experience like straight away. It does, because what you can do is say, hey, you can take instead of self-selecting all of these these options and get people to the right place right away based on something intelligent, maybe an action that they've done previously on another channel where you can say, hey, I noticed that you bought an iPad recently. Are you calling about your iPad? Uh, and we can get them straight away to the right people versus getting them transferred. Um, and then the other thing we can do with that is we can take, you know, uh, mapping some of the, uh, the intents, right? Meaning how whatever that it is that they're saying, and if they say this intent, we say, okay, we understand pretty much based on your intent what you're where you need to get to um and and businesses are not always set up in a way that makes sense to how the user meaning the call centers right because the call centers have their various groups and, and the various skills and how they all handle that so you you want to make sure that we get the right person to the right to the right place for customer experience and then also for efficiency uh on the business and redesigning that ivr especially in an asynchronous kind of you know using using nlu um or nlp you can you can do a lot of that stuff uh with a more modern ivr and it, it really does have a, a opportunity to, to impact uh business and customer experience like you know right away mm. And and they're making it easier and easier as well. You know, the providers like the Genesis and Avaya and, and all of the kind of players that they've all got Google Cloud Services integration. So it's it's actually not too difficult to to get up and running with. Especially even if you've you've got something already in Dialogflow, like a chatbot or something like that. You know, yeah. there's no harm in just you can essentially just convert that to to an IVR bot relatively simply, which which I think is good. And you mentioned kind of, you know, before we were talking about the the business value and the adoption, you were talking about the experience and you know the sound of the voice and the, the kind of like the experience of having the conversation can be can be quite pleasant and it can you know i've seen you know speakeasy is a company we work with they do some fantastic work Vo i don't know if you've seen Voca ai uh, I, I don't know if brett's still tuning in but um i think brett published a story this morning about Voca being acquired by snap inc Mm. And Volker, I don't know if you have you come across Volker or not. I have not. I am very very similar to Speakeasy. So it's it's technology that enables um, and Boost actually. If Sam's still around, it's it's kind of a similar sort of platform. It's it's yeah. like um, it allows you to build and deploy IVR bots. Essentially, one of the things they had that was like they were they were quite proud of was the the sound of the voice. So I mean, 
Google voices sound okay. Amazon voices sound all right. You know, if you get a company like Reed Speaker involved, you start to up the quality a little bit. Um, and Voca's technology was pretty pretty good. It sounded like a natural kind of human that you were having a conversation with. And so, right. the, and, and I think one of their projects they did, they did something like um, increased for debt collections. They were making outbound calls to people who owed this company money. And they increased collections by something like 17% with an automated outbound bot. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of don't do that unless the experience, you wouldn't get those results unless it was not just a practical utility, but it must have some kind of experiential element to it. It must be a, a, a pleasant-ish conversation to have. You know, so, so there's still scope in, in terms of the IVR to actually provide a, a decent, engaging customer experience. I mean, think about this. Like, like I don't know about you, but um, every time I have to call, it's not, I'm not calling to say hi, you know, hi, hi, how are you doing? Just thought I'd call and sell you how great of a job you're doing. It's like, typically the, the, the phone is the last resort. It's the, I'm, I've already tried on the web or I'm kind of, at, I'm at my wits end. Right. And what we wind up doing is, is that when you start clocking these things, so I did a study on this, like just to, I mean, it wasn't a huge study, but I, I did a com- kind of a competitive audit kind of to see how long it takes to kind of get somebody on the phone on average. Um, on average, I would, it's, it's usually between anywhere like on the real fast end of things about two minutes on the real uh, on the longer thing it could be like as long as four or five minutes now that's four or five minutes of you pressing buttons right of you going and talking through all this stuff so you have somebody who's already kind of perturbed on the phone and then you're asking them to press a bunch of buttons and then they get to a, a, a live human being so you know again you have the potential to either answer some of their questions really quickly help them and it can provide that sub, that surprise and delight when you basically say hey look hey Stu, i know you're already calling about this can i help you out with this or if you want me and or get you directly to that person faster um if, if they need to do it and by the same token on the flip side of it if it's something that can be automated that can be basically that like let's say in our case we were talking about like account balances and all the other fun stuff that you do you know in, in financial spaces um that we can we can identify that as well and say hey look you can here's your balance you know and and get you all the information that you need uh, in order to you know complete that call uh, versus actually having another you know on average the other thing is is that when when you talk with a uh, a customer care rep you're talking about another couple of minutes of pleasantries on top of that right meaning mm-hmm. you're talking about authentication you're talking about um you're you're talking about the kind of hi how are you doing today Mr Silverstein nice to, nice to talk to you um, when most people are just like I need to get this done. Thank you very much for the pleasantries. I appreciate you being nice, but I need to get this done and move on with my life. I'm not calling you to, you know, this is yeah. something I already didn't want to do in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And especially, especially with, uh, you know, like financial institutions, government organizations, you know, banks, insurance, most of those companies, you're, you're dead right. You know, it's, it's people don't go there because they want to, they go there because they have to. Yeah. You know, I, I worked uh, for quite a while in government service design and it's like, no, nobody comes to any government organization because they they want to it's not something that they want to really do it's usually something that's gone wrong and they need to sort it out or it's something that they have to do because otherwise i can't fly without a passport or i can't park without a permit or i can't drive without tax and so it's like it's stuff that you just have to do and so it's like there's nothing worse than having to do something and yeah. then trying to do it and not being able to do it, which is why why websites are so. This is where the value is, I think, of 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 the IVR as well. And we'll move on to to some of your learns and stuff in a minute. But um, I think that's where some of the value is, is because because websites are in some cases quite hard to get right. 
you yeah. know, large government organizations, large insurance companies, large banks, massive websites, swathes of content, very difficult to find and navigate. It's never usually written in plain English. It's never usually that easy to digest. <laughs> so it's actually quite hard to, to get what you need to get out of it, you know, and being able to just have a conversation that strips back all of the stuff that you don't need and just gets straight to the point and delivers on what you need to deliver on is, is absolutely ideal, you know? Yeah. And, and the other thing, kind of part of that, like, you know, the other one of the other things that that on uh, on IVR is um, is I find is authentication. Right. I mean, because that's kind of that part of that, that kind of like you, you were talking about the idea that, you know, you're not calling because you want to, but you're calling because you have to. And then you spend all of this time kind of authenticating and getting up to speed and all of these other things. And these are the areas where you either surprise or, and delight somebody and saying, I, I entered my social, I'm ready to go. I can just talk to somebody and get and move on my way or use like, no, I need your blood type. I need your date of birth. I need the, the last four of the, um, the, the last name of their kindergarten teacher. Um, you, you know, all of these other inane things that we do, uh, to, to verify. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get better at this as a, as a, as an industry, as we get, you know, as we, we evolve, um, with with all of these authentications, um, you know, I, I I still think that passwords are the, are an evil that the the worst evil ever met, uh, you know, that that we've ever we've ever invented, and that once we get to biometrics that they're baked into these things, it's like the way better we're gonna be, um, you know, the, the the amount of time that is wasted, human life that is wasted with passwords is is uh, is pretty incredible, um, you know. There there is um there are certain companies and certain accounts that I have, that. I just do not know the password for. And yeah. every time I go back to log in, I have to set a new password because I can't remember the original password. And when I go to reset it, I can't have the same password again. And so if I can't use the password or the selection of passwords that I usually use because I've already used them, the chance of me remembering it next time I come back is just totally diminished <laughs> because I can't use the passwords I'm comfortable with. You know what I mean? So I need to reset passwords every single time sometimes, which is, uh, yeah. And you're not, and you're not the only one. I've seen actually on a lot of the the projects that I've worked on. Um, I've worked on a lot of projects where they are uh, infrequently used. And what winds up happening when when they're infrequently used is you you have that pa password loop. They're like, okay, well, I just need to get something on the site, but then I, I then I have that password issue. Um, and the other fun thing is when you start looking talking to uh, older folks, like when you if you've ever worked in the space where you 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 know you see older folks and they've got their little books out and they're you know they're they're writing their little passwords down on their things. And then they just they just have no clue. Like you have people who are over sixty, and like whereas you or I might have a password manager, we might have one password, LastPass, whatever that is. Um, older folks don't do that at all, and they they write their stuff in books, and um, and then they have to go find it, and then if they reset it, it's like they 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 give up. Um, so yeah, so quicker we can get to biometrics, uh, you know, for authentication, the the, the way better uh, all all of these experiences become. <laughs> yeah, you know? definitely. So tell us tell us where. Where, where this um i mean obviously you're you're sold on on conversational ai by the sounds of things and and it sounds as though aig is now going to be investing to some degree in this in this kind of stuff given that yeah. that's kind of what you're working on where did that come from and what was this what's the journey been so far in terms of you know what you've been working on over at 
ARG with this stuff? Well, my, my journey in voice design actually starts back when I was working uh, for Rex Real Estate. So um, Rex is a pretty innovative company. It's pretty cool. Um, and basically, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not a startup anymore. I mean, they've got like, a, what, $200 million of investment, something, something pretty silly like that. Um, but when I was there, it started out as kind of a startup. And, uh, and we were investigating what would it look like if you had, like, actually, it was funny. My boss gives me the, the uh, he says, I want ro robots to show homes was the uh, was my creative brief he said i want i want a robot to show homes and then we quickly try to understand and say okay that's nice let's let's unpack that a little bit and find out what that actually means and what of the robots because robots are prohibitively expensive um the, there's the creep factor and then robots mean a lot of different things to people right meaning it could be humanoid robot but it could also be a uh, you know a, a kiosk style style robot right each of those things are they're robots they do things uh, but we had to figure we had to figure that out okay and what we what we landed on was we came up with this um we came up with a couple of things as far as that was concerned we, but we, we, the the main app was we came up with this idea of uh a voice integrated um application that was um that would uh, make it so that you could ask questions as you were going through your home journey and that basically that it would be able to be uh, automated in some sort of fashion, right? Meaning that if you got into the house and you were, but you were able to ask it questions so that it was a much more kind of a, um, kind of a conversational type of, of, of experience where you could just say, instead of having to look through gobs and gobs of information, you know, I want to know what kind of floors there are in the kitchen. When was the roof last replaced? Um, you no, know, when uh, you know how big is the is is the the lot? Um, when was the house built? So any of those kinds of things that you that you typically have uh, when people come and see homes, um, we created a voice based uh, interface that was that where you could literally you know ask it questions. You would be able to um, you know press on a button like Shazam, and you would ask it questions, and you could take that wherever you were in the house. And if you had any questions uh, on a mobile device or on a tablet, which we provided within within the home as well, um, you could ask it questions. And it got around a lot of legal things we had to work around because in the state of California, you have to have a uh, an actual license. Uh, typically, you have to have a license. A real estate agent, uh, or you have to have it approved by a licensed agent. So this was our workaround in to say, yeah, what we what we could do is we could put all the data in there and make it so that you were asking questions just like you would ask questions on uh, um, for a, uh, a a real estate agent. So that was where it started, um, and we were prototyping and testing that, and we we got a lot of really good feedback and. Um, and that was kind of where things started. And then we started doing some uh, Facebook chatbots as well for that organization so that people could, you know, chat and ask questions on those items. Um, and then we, we worked on some other things with within the uh, within um, it wasn't a total voice, but it was more of a uh, within Slack, actually doing some 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 items within Slack. And um, but anyway, so that was kind of where it all started. Um, and that's how it kind of started with this kind of journey of getting in voice, integrating with voice and UX at the same time um, when it started to make sense, you know, but I'm 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 hugely sold on it. I, I, I really see the power of it. Um, you know, the, the the amazing thing about voice in general is just is the hand hands-free aspect of it. And then as we start to get technology, that becomes this kind of omnipresent uh, thing that's just kind of that, that where we don't have to have our attention focused on something, we don't have to hold it, and we can do things that are hands-free. Voice becomes really super powerful, the in way to integrate with technology, um, you know, and to integrate with, with kind of, uh, with, with businesses as well, uh, but definitely with services and products for sure.
Mm, nice. Uh, shout out to Frank Schneider. He said, mm. he's a cool dude, Frank, I swear down. I wish I was as cool as him sometimes. He said, sweet lid, Kane. And I think he means the hat. I think that's Philly yeah. for hat, lid. So thank you, <laughs> thank you, Frank. Uh, I might get you one for Christmas. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm interested in, your, you've mentioned prototype a few times and you've mentioned, yeah. you, you know, like getting something, you know, I think you, what you said there initially was unpacking something. I want, a, I want a robot to show me how it is. Okay, well, let's unpack it, figure out what that actually is. So it's obviously, this is the, yeah. the UX kind of process, the UX mind kind of ticking away there. Uh, you've mentioned the word prototype a number of times. Obviously, we got connected through uh, voice flow and you've been using that to do some prototypes. So I'm wondering whether you can kind of walk us through your a typical, what, what does a typical process look like from idea to either validation or to you know taking something into being kind of produced like you know what is your um process for conversation design and and how is it similar or different to typical ux design so to speak yeah so i i would say that the the process is i is identical meaning like so you're you're starting with kind of identifying the goals of the project you know aligning stakeholders along what success looks like um you know doing your research uh you know um one of the things that i i was that and then um you know, and then creating something and then putting it in, in front of users. So, I mean, so the process is, I, I would say is very similar, meaning like as, I think as UX designer, I think the process is pretty simple. We, we I think a lot of times we overcomplicate what actual UX design is with all of the techniques and things that we got to do and, and all of that. But basically like when you, it comes down to, you know, the, the real basics of, of, of UX design, it is figuring out what the business needs to get done figuring out what problem that the users have, um, figuring out what is the kind of the intersection between these two items, like how could we basically make it so the business gets what it needs to get done and the users get what they need as well. Uh, and then trying a bunch, building a bunch of stuff and testing it. You know, you build something, you put it in front of people, you see how it, how it behaves, and then you, uh, and then you revise and, the, and then you iterate. So I don't think that that kind of global process, you know, changes. Um, it's really funny. I, uh, there's a really, I, I saw a really good video by Don Norman recently uh, talking about kind of design and, and he kind of laid it out like really like how simple design sort of is when you, when you get down to it, like meaning from a, uh, from like a really high level conceptual uh, process of it. Um, and he's like, you know, we, we build stuff and we put it in the hands of users and then we watch them use it because not only are they going to use it um, in a different way than we, and, anticipated they're going to use it in a way that we never would have anticipated um which i love that quote i think that's just that's that's it that hits the nail on the head um so yeah so so you know that at a high level really is is what it is we you know you do the same strategies strategically you figure out what goals are um you figure out kind of what uh you do some research with the users as to what they need to do um you know figuring out what the system needs to do from a functional perspective and and what the the goals are of the channel um and then, um, and then, I, I, what I've also done is I've done some. Uh, I did a, quite a bit of, of competitive audits, which was just basically calling all of these, com- figuring out like a uh, a framework for the uh, for the for the audit. Um, and this again would be whether it, it was uh, you know IVR or whether it was another, but for figuring out some sort of framework for that audit, like how were you going to judge each of these companies in terms of like success, meaning how would you break down each of these items? And this is no different than, than any other competitive audit I would do um, if I was on 
uh, doing a web project or an app or something like that, where I would figure out what the what the breakdown of the of the framework of each of these items are, and then start to figure out like how does each of these companies achieve each of those those goals, um, and and then you know look for it. And uh, you know the thing though that that kind of where things start to differ, I would say a little bit uh, from from typical visual or typical GUI interfaces is uh, a lot of a lot of I think has to do with style as well, meaning the style of the um, of the conversations, meaning like how um, how the brand is going to in in is is going to be represented in voice? Is it going to be something casual? Is it going to be something formal? Uh, is it going to be something very short, very long, drawn out? Um, how do you want that kind of to feel? Um, and then the other thing, so when, when I start prototyping within the uh, within that is to write the scripts for basically whatever um, whatever questions we're going to answer, you know, meaning, meaning like what are the intents that we're going to break out and then what pieces of data we're going to use in our prototype. Uh, and then, uh, and then building it in some sort of prototype. Now I've, I've done a couple of different versions of that. Like I've used Facebook and, um, and, and done the chat bots straight in there. I've also paired, uh, with developers. Um, and that's the other thing that I, that I did early on, which was to, um, build kind of a, 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 a prototype with a developer and say, and have them actually integrate it with Google voice. And then they gave me a, you know, JSON, um, uh, document basically to, uh, to, to edit all of the, the, the utterances and, and intents and the data that's, 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 that's spoken back. Uh, and then voice flow is the other one that I've done recently, which is, you know, again, same sort of process, just figuring out the flow, pro the flow charts for it. And then, uh, and then testing it with users, um, you know, getting it in front of people, seeing how they behave. And so process is still the same. It's just a question of like, do you have, some other chops that you need as a uh, that you don't have as a UX designer, or you haven't developed as a UX designer, um, it, you know, traditionally versus kind of um, what you what you've what you've done in the past. Hmm. Interesting. How how do you approach the 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 design side of it then? So there's there's, there's various obviously different ways of doing it. One one we use often is role play. So two mm -hmm. people, you know, now it's Zoom. <laughs> Whereas it used to be chairs back to back, you know, role playing the conversation, transcribing it, use that as as a first pass. Other things would be to, you know, listen or or transcribe calls that have already come in. So you're basing things on real live kind of conversations and stuff like that. Um what's your kind of approach to actually the design of the actual conversation part. Do, do you do anything like that? Or do you kind of sit there and think, right, let's just do a rough pass first and get something on paper and get something up and, and go like that? Yeah, I, I, I you know, I'm, I, I guess maybe it's my, my naivete in the, you know, in, in kind of the, the deep, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot more techniques that have developed within the, the conversation design field. But, you know, my, my first thought is to basically um, start with kind of what do, what do people need to know? Right. Meaning we when we start with a, any sort of, of user experience, like any sort of, um, you know, GUI interface, we, we figure out we have to do things like, you know, we do things like empathy maps. Right. To understand kind of what are the questions that people have in their head, because basically what it comes down to is that, um, you know, any sort of interface is basically answering questions. Right. People have a some a answer and a question in their head. We need to figure out what those questions in their head are and, and answer those questions um, and then also figure out ways that they might want to phrase that right when we start getting into voice design we have to figure out like okay what are all what are some of the words that they might use to kind of utter that what are the various different ways that we could do that at least as a first pass to to prototype and test um 
but what are the ways that we can we could that people could start to use those as utterances? Um, and then you know, but, but the, it really starts with those questions that people want to get answered, right? And if we and the better that we can do, we can answer those questions, or at least say, okay, based on these questions that somebody has, like in an IVR context, you know, um, or like I mean, even in the 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 context of the the, the real estate app, uh, at what point do we need to get somebody on the line here that we say, okay, well, great, we can answer a lot of these questions automated, um, and then. But but th if they ask this question, we need to get them to a live human being because we either don't have the answer for that automated, it might require, or it, it shows the intent that they're ready to progress into the into the journey, whether that's a kind of a next step as an engagement, I'm ready to, I've kind of got all my automated answers and now I'm ready to kind of talk to a, a live human being to, to help assist me down the path. Or, um, or we've gotten to the end of what the automated system is able to do and, and respond and now get it onto a, a live human being. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how I typically would approach something like that. Mm. So we, we do, um, once, once you have something, you mentioned testing there, um, and you know, you broke it down really well in terms of the, the process as far as business needs, customer needs, what we think is good enough. And then let's find out. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and, that's it. Yeah, and and I think that the crucial bit that that I'll be keen for everyone listening to to pay attention to, which I'd love to get your insights on, is that last bit, is the let's find out bit, because especially we you know we've been talking about IVR design and you mentioned you hinted at it very early on in the conversation around the culture that exists within contact centers, um, and so it's not necessarily what you would call a design culture you know mm -hmm. um i've worked with contact centers quite a lot in the past and it's it's um quite often because the people that run the contact centers are under so much pressure you know and the business as a whole i don't think businesses tend to appreciate the contact center as much as they actually should because if you pull the contact center away the whole thing will go to shit <laughs> and so and so what what is what can be challenging is bringing that kind of bringing that process into an environment where that process doesn't usually exist. And not just in a contact center, I don't want to single that out because it also exists. I've seen um, Alexa skills and things like that that have gone out without being tested and chatbots that go out without being tested and things. But when you do test things, so now our process now is to, we test conversations before we even prototype. So we'll yeah. find users, we'll get them on a Zoom call and we'll just mm -hmm. have a conversation, right? And that then gives us our prototype. It gives us a script for our prototypes. And so we, we'll do testing before we even build something to test because I think that the insights that you get are so important because you can validate whether or not your idea is good in the first place. You can also get insights into, you know, needs and, and wants that you, you wouldn't have come across otherwise. But I find that that bit is usually missed out quite often and that it's very easy to get a, to get a, a flow chart together and to script something and then to go and build something. So I'm wondering from kind of your experience of involving users, of doing usability testing, of validating your prototypes, what are some of the, the like either the, the core sort of like learnings or some examples of, of learnings that you've got from doing that or some of the reasons why you would convince somebody to not skip that part out, even if you're designing a, a bot for IVR or chatbot or whatever, whatever you're doing. 
Well, that, that I, I love your, your that that process. I'm gonna have to, to rip that off of you one of these days. The next time I do, <laughs> next time I do a, a, a voice prototype because it, it makes perfect sense, right? Meaning that you start with having a conversation with somebody, learn from that conversation, and then design, right? Meaning that that actually sounds uh, sound never thought of it before, but that's great. That's that's actually um, my my way of, of prototyping has been a little bit different than that, and that's just again basically I, I would say more so coming from the the, the UX side of things, right? Meaning being, because I am a UX designer primarily, um, I'm, I'm basically using the, the, a lot more of my, my, what I'd say my UX skills and not, you know, I haven't gotten into that level of detail with it. Um, but my, my typical way would be, you know, there's a couple of things that we need to know when we're doing voice prototyping, right? One of them is we gotta, we've got to start to understand the language that people are using, right? And test the, um, some sort of prototype to see how does the bot respond with like a base set of, of, of utterances, right? Meaning that whether we've got that right well those things you know have an intent um and then um and 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 then um you know the the after we've tested the intent we can kind of like go back to the drawing board and, and use that as kind of um for kind of a first build um but that's basically been been my my my, my uh my experience mainly with it is kind of making sure that we've got the right data um in, in in some instances like i said like when we were doing the home the home test um we had a very loose way of um of how people would uh, actually integrate with this because we didn't we didn't con like in other instances I've, I've had very controlled um, environments where we basically say okay well, we're going to give them kind of a couple of scenarios and we're going to have them kind of interact based on scenarios however um, we've also done things where like I said where we just basically said hey you come in and see a house and then you ask it questions and let's see where it starts to fail um, but that's been, that's been I, I guess that's kind of how I typically will do it. It's kind of let's give it a prototype, let's see how it goes, and then we'll see where it starts to fail and find out a little bit more about the kind of the intents and how they talk about the language in in, in that context. Mm. Nice. Um, Eduardo Oliveira has said uh, this is about the the comment that we made about the contact centers and, and, and differences in cultures and that he said more than the difference in culture i would argue is a difference in priorities mm -hmm. call centers are about cost reductions cost reductions agent handle time resolution rate call length whereas most other channels are about engagement user experience order completion and so forth definitely i would agree with that 110 percent uh, but i also think that prioritizing those things engagement user experience uh is, is a way to achieve those other things, which is reducing handle time, call length, all those kind of things. Would you concur with that, Stuart? I would say, like in my experience, it's kind of, it's, it's organizational, right? Meaning because you have a call center and the teams that, that handle these things are, like, so in, in my experience of working with, with the call centers, I've seen where most of the, the people who handle the IVRs are the tech teams. Like they don't have, like there's no user experience person that's even close to that, right? The only way a user experience person gets involved in that situation is that they literally go actively seek that out. That's what I've done with, with several of these other uh, companies is to say, hey, look, this is a primary channel that we've got a lot of people coming through. How can we make this better overall? But I, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of this organizational way that 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 the call centers are kind of on their own. We have our digital product teams, which are working on on all of these things that are saying, hey, we're trying to engage and get and get really great experiences. Whereas the call center is just like they're on their own and they have an organizationally, they, they work in this kind of uh, a little bit of an antiquated fashion where you have, you know, you typically have a BA, you have the tech team, and then you have the call center leads who are basically saying, this is how we want it to go. 
right? I'm not saying this is the way in the, on all organizations, but in the ones that I've seen, that's kind of how it has worked. Um, I'd be very interested to see how it works in, in ones where it works really well, like Amex, I've, like Amex and, uh, and T-Mobile, I've seen that their, their stuff works really well. Um, but it'd be very interesting to see if organizationally, the reason why it is, is because they do get the UX folks or brand folks involved in it uh, from a, um, you know, and not silo that piece of the organization. Hmm. That's interesting. It, it almost feels, I, I almost get the feeling that there's all, there's like a resurgence going on in, in many areas at the moment. Like there's a resurgence in audio because smart speakers have now like people are listening to audio more on there. So audio is becoming more important, not just in terms of like providing audio as content, if you're one of those kind of organizations, but also you know, your audio brand, you mentioned there a number of times what you sound like, the voice you use, the tone you have, the language you use, the words you use and all that kind of stuff being important. Yeah. Um, and also, I think there's also a, a resurgence in the contact center and renewed motivation almost in the contact center, because this stuff is like, it's not just tree mapping and call routing and press one for this, press two for that. It's actually, a, a, a you know, it's at the cutting edge of technology. And it's also at the cutting edge of creativity, you know, designing a persona to have a conversation and designing that conversation, putting the words together and building out that whole experience is, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic stuff. So it's almost like there's, there's a bit of a resurgence and a renewed sort of energy in the contact center. Um, would you kind of agree with that? Like in terms of the, the conversational AI giving some sort of like some, um, what's the word? Just, yeah, rejuvenated energy, I think, I would, I would say. Yeah, and some humanization. I mean, like, the other thing you have to talk about, like, when we start talking about technology as a whole, right, we talk about there's different there's different approaches to kind of, like, technology in general, right? And one of those techn one of those is automation, right? Automate, we want to automate things that computers can do for us. Um, but the other part of it is supercharged, what I'll call supercharging the humans, right? Which is basically the ability to, um, the ability to basically give the human experience a kind of, um, make it super efficient and make it, you know, more seamless. And, and the, the kind of the, the call center covers both of those, those, those elements. And there's a lot, and I've, I've, most of the brands that I've been involved with, the human is not, you can't replace the human. Like if you're in, if you're in a, in, in uh, home sales or you're, you're selling homes, you can't replace a human in that. If you have a complex question about a, um, about an annuity or, or about some, you know, some sort of financial product, replacing the human is not what is not the goal of the experience but the goal of the experience is is to make it so that you get to the right human and that 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 that, that conversation has been queued up and that we've made it a nice pleasurable experience that that has that feels right you know pushing buttons on a phone does not feel nearly as as intuitive as like saying you know what i really i want to check my bill i want to check the the amount that's on my account and 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 the machine saying great Here's the balance. We've got this balance here. Would you, what else would you like to do? And they can keep interacting in that fashion versus listening to these really long prompts and then pressing buttons. And, you know, and that's just, it, it's like, that is just the major time waster of, of people in general, you know? Hmm. I don't know if Frank's still around, Frank Schneider from Speakeasy, but that's one of the things that Speakeasy does really well. Is It's it's similar to what uh, Google Contact Center AI does as well, which is that concept of agent assist. So yeah. the, bot, the bot handles the call. If it can handle it, it can handle it. Um, if it can't, then it determines who, to, who it should send it to. And then when the agent connects with the bot, the bot sits around and listens and it gives suggestions and it pulls stuff from knowledge bases and it suggests other things to 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 do you know um so it's a concept of yes if you can handle it within the within the call handle it 
if it can't, if it needs a human, send it to the human, but then the bot can stick around and actually help the human, you know, yeah. by suggesting and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, suggesting content, suggesting transactions and, and, and then the human can actually train it as well. You know? So if you, if you know that the bot's suggesting you a load of rubbish and you can say, no, <laughs> I don't need this, I need that, you know? So it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a win-win sort of situation. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then also the other thing is passing the right information off, right? Meaning because you have to make sure that that information flow happens all the way from, and there's nothing more frustrating than, than calling up somebody, entering a bunch of things and then saying, oh yeah, by the way, what were you calling about again? Who are you? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The amount of times that I've gone through a, 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 an IVR and given all that information and then got to the other end and you have to just say the whole, the whole thing all over again. It's a it's a nightmare. So we've got there's a bit of a discussion here, um, and Eduardo commented again around. So Sam had said the internal use case alignment is certainly important with the contact center. Yes, of course. And then Eduardo said that indeed, Sam, the other important trend I see is a single owner of the experience across all channels, as opposed to the silos we've been talking about here. Yeah, so this is something that we've we've been on VWX World talking about for for a long time, and with with the clients that we're working with, encouraging this kind of behavior is that. You have a brain, a conversational AI brain, and that is managed by someone or, or a department. That brain is then, you know, horizontal across the organization, works horizontally because you need services and content and information and all that stuff from all different departments. You need ownership and, and buy-in from IT and you, and you need to be able to access the contact center and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then you have one centralized brain that you can then feed out into all the different channels that you need to, whether that's in your contact center, on your website as a chatbot, on your app as as an assistant, in Google Assistant, Alexa, whatever the case may be. Um, there isn't, as of yet, a huge number of companies that have kind of got to that point yet. Um, you know, I know lots of organizations that have, you know, a chatbot that, that the uh, web team have and an Alexa skill that the marketing team have done and, you know, an IVR bot that the, that the contact center have put together uh, without that kind of cohesion. Have you noticed what what's your sort of observations in terms of the ownership and drivers within organizations for conversational AI? Are you seeing it being a siloed approach? Are you seeing it being joined up and owned horizontally across the business? What are your? Well, I've seen so so in in certain places that I, I I've seen is I've seen you know being on both on the um you know I would say for over the past couple of years I've seen it more and more. Um, where there is kind of this kind of global customer experience owner, right? Meaning somebody who's actually looking at all of these channels, you know, even though let, like, let's say the marketing team is the one who's working. I mean, because, because typically, I mean, there, we have silos organizationally, there are all these silos and you have the marketing teams working on one, one portion of it. Um, and then I've also been actually, unfortunately been in cultures where those teams are kind of at odds as well, meaning they've got their, there's like a little bit of, of turf war between these things as well. I've seen, I've seen that one um, where it's like, Hey, I'm on the marketing team. So I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And then I've also seen it where everybody's really super collaborative and that basically people have been able to kind of say, okay, we're talking about a whole customer journey. Let me, let me do my part to basically work on, on the, on the integration. So I've seen more of that happening now uh, on, on, you know, in organizations where there is kind of these, these people who are looking at the, all of the channels and putting them together. Cause like, so you have, Organizationally, you have people who are tactically working on the ground, right? Meaning that are working on on the products. Um, you know, hopefully you can you have a UX designer or you have designers that are working on that. And then you have somebody who has to kind of be above that, who looks at the entire organization and says, "Hey, 
we need to figure out where the experience gaps are because that's where you start to lose people is where when you have the kind of the experience where like let's say some for instance somebody starts a transaction on the phone and then they or on a on a mobile device and then they move into a phone or they start into a, a voice uh, and then they move into their mobile app you know um, like Spotify does an amazing job of kind of understanding those experience gaps where if you start something on your phone and then you pick it up and you want to listen to it in your car, um, it, it seemed to very naturally work that way, um, you know, in those experience gaps. So that's been, that that's, I've seen more of that kind of ownership happen, um, especially kind of at the, uh, and not only at like the director VP level, um, but also kind of at a, like a, you know, a lead level where there's somebody who's assigned a, a part, like that's how I worked at LegalZoom. I was assigned a part of the, like to work across the entire uh, journey um, versus kind of working it in, in one of the specific channels. Mm, mm, interesting. Um, what, what are your, like, what's your sort of advice for people who are either UX designers wanting to get into conversation design or maybe some of those kind of strategic folks uh, in organizations responsible for customer experience who might see opportunities here. What's your sort of advice for, for getting involved in this and where should people start? Where, where should, where, let's, let's break it down in two halves. Where should UX designers start? Mm-hmm. And on a more strategic level, where should customer experience managers start? Yeah, so so the I, I think the best thing to do is to try is to build something, right? Meaning, um, voice is not always the the, um, the 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 best choice for every single application, right? Meaning, it has to do with whatever context that you're you're in, and it has to do with the product, and it may work in certain instances, it may not. But I would say, don't be afraid of trying it. Meaning, like if you see an opportunity where I mean, remember I was talking about that kind of hands free type of of operation, right? If you're in a situation where you have something that you need to be that that the user needs to be doing, like let's say so for instance, if you had a bicycling app, right? Like you're looking like a Strava or whatever, you know, um, there's really a lot of opportunity to integrate those things to integrate voice commands within those ideas, right? So how can you start with those kinds of things that were where um, looking at a uh, looking at the device is going to be disruptive to whatever experience you're trying to provide, right? And it might be even splitting your attention. Right. It might be you're driving a car and like like the, the car experience example is really great for voice because you're like, hey, I got to keep my hands on the wheel. I can't go pressing buttons and using things that way. So I would start thinking about like, is your product need require any sort of hands free types of operations that you can do where voice becomes this really great tool for uh, for me to integrate within that system. Right. So that would be, I would say, one place that you can start is to think about how it integrates within the product that you're designing. And then the other spot is maybe is maybe to think about how you might intelligently kind of hand off to a human, right? Meaning, um, and, and how that might that might work. But the but the, the, the main thing is, is I, like I said, is kind of starting with that and then saying, if there is an opportunity and you say, well, okay, great. How can I start testing that? Like what what kind of prototype can I build that would help with that? Um, you know, or, and, and then, and then get involved with start testing it. Like, meaning, like I said, in my instance, when I was working in the, in the real estate field, um, it was perfect. It was a perfect example. Like meaning how could we get something that people are not like looking at, but they can get information really quickly because they're doing something else. Um, so that would be what I would say is to start with that integrate and figure out how to handle multimodal experiences first, because, 
when you have a multimodal experience, like the first thing that you, you've got the benefit of being able to use visuals and, um, and, and using the screen design that can kind of combine with that voice experience. Once you got that kind of down or once you figured out how that kind of operates, then going to a purely voice experience becomes just a matter of kind of moving on to the next, uh, to the next item. Um, so that would be kind of where I would start with that. Um, and then, you know, and, and, um, and, and do look at some of the resources and some of the best, uh, best practices, obviously, in terms of voice design um, and mostly modal design, you know, in terms of how to handle those two, um, you know, as well. But that, that would be kind of where I'd start was figure out within your product and experiment, try something, build it, see how it works um, and, and, and decide if it's going to be a good fit. Um, and if it works, continue building it. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. That is that's solid advice uh, as ever. Where can people where can people kind of reach out to you? Where can people sort of like get in touch or follow the the journey that you're on with with AIG and, and in conversation design? Yeah, so I'm publishing a bunch of stuff on Medium. Um, my Medium work is kind of a combination of I'm doing some voice, you know, work on there, but I'm also uh, publishing a lot on Enterprise UX as well. So meaning it's kind of like a combination of the of the two. Uh, so you can find me it's it's Stupak five nine seven three on on Medium. Uh, I also write a bunch of stuff for uh, uh, for UX Collective as well. So I'm I'm on there, um, you know, writing a bunch of things there. Uh, aside from that, I I'm very where very rarely on Twitter, um, but if you go to my website. You can see a lot of, uh, which is stuartsilverstein.com. Um, you can see a lot of the, um, you, you get links to all the other, you know, channels that I'm on available and, you know, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Cool. Nice one. We'll put all them links in the, uh, in the show notes. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Stuart. I really appreciate it. I think what I've, what I've enjoyed more, most is that it's the, it's the, the, what you bring to it is what we've what we also do is alignment with what we do over the UX world, which is bringing that holistic customer vision to this whole thing. It's not a case of building a bot like this in this narrow little space. It's about understanding the customer, figuring out what they need, understanding the business, figure out where that alignment is, and then try yeah. and create an experience that benefits both. And the process that you go through to get to that is the process, as you said, that the that, that UX designers and service designers go through, whether you build in a landing page or a website or a full end-to-end -end digital service, it takes that kind of that process to understand that you're doing the right thing. And then to understand that you're doing the thing right and to build the best experience. So I love the the approach and the, the total holistic kind of approach that you bring. So I appreciate you coming and sharing sharing your insights with us. Oh yeah, thanks thanks for having me, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. And and uh, I've appreciated your your uh, your tips. I'll have to try some of these things <laughs> on, on my next voice project too, uh, and your expertise in this in this area um, to try some of those things because it sounds like they that. that some really great ideas so it's, it's the pleasure has been mine cool cool yeah that's a it's a quote from uh, micah coppins which is that you can't design conversations without having conversations which has stuck with me and that's the that's the philosophy that we have the more conversations you can have the better you could be at designing them um which is which is what we try and do so yeah it's been uh, it's been fantastic i'm just going to pull up next week just to let people know who are still around uh thank you all for tuning in by the way and thanks for your comments um and your participation next week is with voxter so voxter is an independent voice assistant platform uh, out of india making its way over to the uk there's done a lot of work in india with the indian government and things like that and we're going to be talking uh, essentially probably building on top of what we've been discussing with 
with, with you, Stuart, today in terms of the, one is the design of the conversation. This next bit next week is going to be implementing that in an independent voice assistant. So not in a platform, not in, a, in an Alexa Google Assistant, independent voice assistants that you can deploy anywhere. And we're going to be getting into details on that, so I'm looking forward to that. So please do join us next week for that. Uh, in the meantime, I think this, the Conversation Design Institute is a good fit for this conversation as well because we've been talking about conversation design. So if you do want to take Stuart up on some of those practices and methodologies and you want to learn how to do it, check out the Conversation Design Institute, which we'll put the links in the show notes, as well as all of Stuart's links uh, and everything we've talked about today. Uh, we'll be out on the podcast very, very soon. So Stuart, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks you all for listening and we'll see you next week. See you soon.